Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I like the pre-show conversations where you and I are just like happy chipper, not really in a rush to get started, and Brad sitting on my left just going through it right now. <laughs> you look rough. Yes. Yep, that is exactly how I feel. So it's good when, you know, image matches actual feelings. Can I uh, give you a terrible update? The episode just started. You have so much time ahead of you right now. No, oh, I'm aware. I'm aware. I'm already sweating. It's so hot in here. Also, I need you to know that. Evan made me turn the fan off. If you wanted to point that thing directly at me the whole episode, I'd be okay with it. I'll consider it for future. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the future of Steve Eiserman's team in Hockey Town, the world of the NHL, and more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Had to get a fast start on that one. And whenever we do too much small talk, we always get, it's like arrows blotting out the sun of just talk about hockey. Yep. Start talking about hockey quicker. And you know what? You Everyone who says that, you're right. We just kind of get lost in it sometimes. Yeah, it's just a memorial to Terry. That's right. Oh, good old Terry. All right. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we'll be giving you some small updates on the Detroit Red Wings. Obviously, the last episode was the big news of the Jeff Petrie trade, and we talked about essentially how that would affect the lineup in a tangible way. We evaluated the trade, but now we're going to take a broader look at the Red Wings contract structure, the team structure, a little bit of a look into the future. Uh, we'll also talk about some prospects and their timelines as to when they could make the Red Wings, and uh, we'll see what else we get into before overtime. Before that, I want to let you know about two things. First of all, the roast and toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Lidstrom presented by Trinity Health at Motor City Casino in Detroit is on Saturday, August 26th at 5.30 p.m. Get your tickets today at jamiedanielsfoundation.org. There's two levels of tickets you can buy. One of them includes cocktails and hors d'oeuvres, uh, dinner and an auction. It's going to be a really fantastic time. Even if you're not going, which we encourage you to do, you'll see us there. But even if you're not going, there is a silent auction happening online right now. Go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org. They have some phenomenal items that they're auctioning off over there. You can also get your Jamie Daniels Foundation and Roast and Toast apparel at the same website, jamiedanielsfoundation.org. It's going to be a fantastic event. Obviously, you'll see Nicholas Lidstrom and Thomas Holmstrom there. You'll also see Doc Emmerich, Chris Draper, Ian Bagg, Steve Ott, Jim Ralph, and many, many others. Again, jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Please get your tickets today. It's a fantastic cause in support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Also, this podcast is almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash podcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club and go the extra mile to support the show. What it allows us to do is support the Jamie Daniels Foundation through initiatives like Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA. Those are events that we host in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. You also allow us to expand the kind of Winged Wheel Podcast content universe with shows like Expected by Whom, hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro. Go follow them and give that show a listen too. As well, you always allow us to just make the show bigger and better in every way that we can possibly manage. I know these off-seasons, we kind of scale it back and we only record twice a week if Steve Eisenman makes another midweek trade. But for the most part, even though you hear us less, we are working on next season on making things even uh, better for you. So again, patreon.com slash podcast, and we'll tell you all about the benefits you get by being a Patreon supporter on the other side of the show. Okay. The Detroit Red Wings and their future is always a topic, has been a topic since we started this show. It's not exactly a new 
concept because the Red Wings haven't been good since this show started in 2015. Not in a way where you were looking, you know, three, four, five years out and thought, yeah, this team is going to be contending for Stanley Cups. However, it's not an unfair question to ask to say, what is the timeline for the Red Wings to start contending for Stanley Cups? What is the timeline where Detroit should be making the playoffs and you're thinking, oh, can they win a round or two rounds? Because, you know, since 2015, save for those couple of years where they had some playoff appearances, we haven't been talking about that, not seriously. And, and, you know, going back to the early days of the podcast, what was the first thing that generated uh, listener backlash for us? Like, do you want a list? Do you want it alphabetically? Do you want it by category? <laughs> not stuff that's like, you know, personal uh, indictments of us, the people, because those are easy to make and they're all factual. And those terrible. were the first. But the in terms of what we were talking about on the show, what was the first thing that really kind of got a big wave of backlash where we were like, whoa, you know, maybe the rebuild needs to start immediately. That and was it. Yeah. Yeah. It was the rebuild needs to start because this team is not trending in a good way. And that, this isn't like, that wasn't a novel concept. I think people were talking about it, but it was just such a stark departure from 25 consecutive playoff appearances to what we've had since then. So the Red Wings as are constructed right now, you know, we can have debates on whether they're likely to be a, a playoff team, unlikely to be a playoff team. We can, I think, agree that they'll be in that bubble-ish range where there's a certain set of circumstances that could come about that would put them in the wildcard race. And, you know, the season could go as some people expect, and they'd finish sixth or seventh in the Atlantic division, and they're not really in the mix come April. But let's look a few years out. Let's look at their contract structure. What stands out to you in terms of What's on the horizon for Detroit? The uncertainty more than anything else. And I know we touched on it when we kind of got into the broader view during the Petrie episode, but the interesting thing about it right now is almost all of this hinges on the prospects outside of, you know, Cider and Raymond, for the most part, it hinges on guys who are not currently in the NHL. Casper, Danielson, Edvinson, Willinder, Sandine Pelica, Kosa, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Most of those guys need to hit, and a bunch of them need to hit their tippy-top ceiling in order for this team to be a contender. How that relates to the contract structures and everything on this team right now is they're not close. That's the reality of it. If we're talking, and again, I'm going to clarify this point right now so everybody doesn't get confused as we're going. This is to build a team that is competing for Stanley Cups, not just making the playoffs and getting swept in the first round. Stanley Cup contender, because that is the goal. So the Red Wings don't have a ton of term on the contracts right now. Yeah, Comfort at five years is a lot. Cop has four years left. That's a lot. Hole, Schrott, three years. It's not ideal. And would I have signed all those contracts if I were Steve Eisenman? No, probably not. But it almost doesn't matter. And the bigger point here is the more concerning point. And it's kind of the point that we alluded to last episode, but almost gets swept under the rug. If the prospects don't hit, this doesn't matter. These contracts don't matter because the Red Wings will still be light years away from competing. They have to have to have to build the core out of this young group to build around and most of these guys are probably going to take two to three years before they are, even if they hit two to three years is like on the mega optimistic side for some of them, 
which means by the time that rolls around, Holes deal's done, Schrott's deal's done, Cop and Comfer are near the end of it, so very easy to buy out or trade if you had to. Like, if you have to lose a fifth-round pick to clear up uh, Andrew Cop's contract, and then that's because you have a big free agent you're planning on signing and need the space, that's a net win. I don't think anybody's going to be here, because the timeline is what it is, and it's not good. But the team's trending in the right direction, and I think the ultimate reasoning behind this is Iserman's aware of what I'm saying here. He knows what the foundation of this team has to look like in three years in order to compete. So if let's say Sandine Pelica, Nate Danielson, Marco Casper, and Simon Evanson are what we think they could be. Now this team has a core to build a contender around with Larkin, Raymond, Sider, Berggren, you know, Wallman, whoever. They will be tight to the cap, but all the problematic contracts now will be movable. You think if you're in a window to win a Stanley Cup and say you have to give away a third round pick as a sweetener to unload one of these contracts, that that's going to even make Steve Eiserman balk just a little bit? No, of course not. No contender gives a crap about that. The Red Wings aren't tied into anything they can't move when it's going to matter. What Eiserman is ultimately doing right now is he's overpaying for stop gaps to keep the team competitive until that core is ready to take over. Because, again, there absolutely is an argument here for this team hit the gas too early and they should have kept tanking for some better prospects and not signed these contracts. I don't know what side I fall on. So, you know, before you come screaming at me, I, I could hear that argument. I could understand that argument. I know it's been a long time since literally the beginning of this podcast. But yeah, I understand maybe another year or two is needed, but we're past that now. We're in the situation we're in now. Eisenman probably feels it's better for as the guys to come up, as the young guys are coming up, they're getting experience playing meaningful, important hockey games on a team that isn't tragically bad. And the cost at the end of this might be a bunch of draft picks to unload some of the bad contracts if the prospects are coming up and all of a sudden this team looks competitive and Kyle Connor, hypothetically, his contract is up and the Red Wings go, he's going to cost $10 million. We only have $7 million cap space. Guess we got to get uh, Andrew Kopp out of here by any means necessary. So what does it take to get rid of his contract, et cetera, et cetera. So those conversations can be had. And if you're talking about, you know, well, you don't look at something like this in the negative and just assume you're going to have to give stuff away to be good. It comes with the territory. Look at every Stanley Cup contender over the last 10 years. They have had to do some version of this somewhere along the line. Some of them had to do it early. Some of them had to do it later in the runs. It happens. It's always going to come up eventually to free up cap space so you can keep the more important players. And that's fine. So I don't like most of the contracts Steve Eisenman has signed beyond three years. Like Larkin's the only good one. I would not have given Hole that contract. I would not have given Comp for that contract. I would not have given Cop that contract. Debrinkus is good. Debrinkus is good. Sorry, I forgot about, yeah, four years, that's fair. And, you know, whoever else. But the alternative was being in the basement for a bunch more years and, and you know, what type of culture are you creating? What type of player does that turn Mo Sider into? Does it turn Lucas Raymond into, you know? So I think Eisman's plan was we got to be competitive. We have to slowly ramp up. Because again, if you're in the basement, you're not luring for agents. You're not getting an Alex DeBrinkett situation where players actively want to go to Detroit. They're already struggling, as we've been told. 
to get free agents, period, let alone good ones. So if you're a bottom feeder for 10 straight years, are you going to lure any good free agents? No, of course not. So I think this is Eisenman ramping up with a bunch of stop gaps, with the understanding the young core needs to be a competitive core or you have to hit reset anyway. I'm of a couple minds on it. I think the point you made about, yes, you can move contracts around and that's becoming the norm. I think that's a really good one. And I think that's, I think folks are still really learning that and it doesn't come naturally because it's not really, is it inherently or purely good practice to sign a contract and then say, well, you can move it by giving up an asset later. No, that's not really the most efficient way to do it, but but it's, it's almost necessary considering how tight the cap has been. And especially considering how, uh, I would say amplified the tightness of the cap has been because of COVID. So that's, I think that's one side of it. I will say there is something to, to note of how many teams who have been successful and successful for years upon years upon years, they have been efficient with their cap structure and almost ruthlessly so from top to bottom look at what julian breezebaugh did as agm under steve eisman in tampa and now as gm he's noted as the as one of the guys who's the cap wizard in tampa bay like they are really really efficient they've had to get creative over the years there's only so much you can do the, the salary cap is like father time it will get you eventually but detroit hasn't been perfectly efficient in their contracts. Like you mentioned, Brad, there's going to be some split opinions, but on balance, if you take all of Detroit's contracts, UFA contracts, that is, and stuck them in front of, you know, 10 different fans, you'd be hard pressed to find a fan who's going to like every single one of them. So, you know, it's not one side of the coin where, yeah, it doesn't really matter because you can pay to get rid of them. So no contracts ever matter. But for me, it's not the other side of the coin where just because the Red Wings haven't been perfectly efficient with them, doesn't mean they're screwed now and it's never going to go well. It's it's It falls somewhere kind of in the middle. And the actual answer here is that anything can happen. Do they have the flexibility in that these contracts are going to just expire and they're going to go away, If even if the players are good or bad? Not necessarily. But in the modern NHL, it's not really rocket science to figure out how to get rid of them, and it's becoming more and more common. Unless you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, in which case other teams squeeze you and make you pay more because it's funny and everyone does it, which I highly encourage the NHL keeps doing. In the short term, you know, you get a team that's, I mean, defined competitive, but could be in the mix to make the playoffs. And you know what? It's as much as people want to say, oh, it's, you know, this is about sports. Well, it's also business, right? Like if you're a bottom feeding team, you don't sell season tickets, you don't sell jerseys, you don't sell single game tickets, you don't sell beers. So you got to have at least a somewhat competitive team over a five to 10 year period. You can't be a bottom feeder for that amount of time. Like no one will show up. So I, I can definitely understand the need to structure the team the way they've done now. And yeah, people might not be happy about some of the contracts and the length that was given out to guys who are just sort of been there, done that, aren't going to really move the needle all that much. But by the time it matters, I don't foresee these guys being on the team, which, you know, I'm basically alluding to. This isn't a this isn't a one to two year turnaround at this point in time. It's it's going to be a, at least. Well, I mean, am I the pessimistic one on this podcast? Yeah. Okay, I, I still... I he was the optimist. <clears throat> yeah, last season he was the pessimist. We'll see what the new season brings. 
more of the same. <laughs> this team, by the way, you know what? If all, Nate Danielson isn't going to make the NHL this year. I'm so, sorry, I didn't look, look the into cam- the camera. Oh, sorry, sorry. Red Wings, I'm just going to text it to them so they see that. Okay, yeah, if you just send them the timestamp, that's great. <laughs> you're looking at, at this next wave of, of talent. You're looking at two, maybe three years for some of them. I mean, Edvinson, I think, is a lot closer. Kosa might be a little bit, might be closer as well than the the three-year mark stop like, stealing like from the next major topic you're oh, you're borrowing oh. time from later in the episode i Evan. just see into the future i That's apologize right. lobster damas but a lot of those contracts that the red wings have signed right now don't matter they're gonna be either expired or expiring and it's you know what if <laughs> if anybody wants them you can always trade them and if oliver ekman larson can get traded anybody <laughs> can get traded the business side of thing is it almost pains me that that's a point now. Like, I don't think it's good for fans to have to worry about how many season tickets are selling. Not Plain and simple. To me, I don't give a, I don't care no. what they're doing. And you know what? Like, I want the Red Wings, the franchise, to be successful because if they're successful, then they have a bigger presence in Detroit, the city. It's We've seen what an original six team, and especially Detroit, does for the NHL when they're big. The NHL is better when Detroit is better. Plain and simple. So I'm not saying, oh, I hope Detroit makes no money, but they win the Stanley Cup. That's not at all what it is. But for fans, all you re- the only money you really should be worrying about is the salary cap. It's not on the fans to worry about millionaires. It's not on the fans to worry about billionaires. But where it does cross over, where there's a Venn diagram in terms of what the fans actually care about, is what you've both alluded to. Brad, you talked about if this team is successful and they're doing well, both on and off ice, you're going to attract free agents. It's a good market to be in. If this team is successful, then my God, it makes it easier to watch. Like, you know, I'm not complaining about watching hockey. At one point, pre-COVID, it was like, oh, what a drag. And then I bit my tongue and I said, I'm never going to complain about hockey again because what did we have? We had people on Twitter live tweeting reruns of old NHL games. That was the worst era of hockey content ever. So I'm I'm not going to complain about watching hockey, but it has been pretty painful at points covering this team at its absolute lowest, like the insult, the dead wings was actually coming back. And the last time I heard that I was in kindergarten. So there is something to be said in terms of fan morale and what it's like to watch this team. And yes, you're not, you know, a rocket ship from just ground zero all straight up to the sky. Like Chicago's trying to do sucking, 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 then getting Connor Bedard and then hopefully being a playoff team in their minds within a year or two. Is it as fun and is it as efficient on paper the way the Red Wings are doing it? No, but I will say watching the Red Wings last season implode way less was an actual benefit. And is that sad? Yeah, of course. Oh, the Red Wings didn't get tuned up for nine goals against Arizona this year. Woo! But legitimately, like Derek Lalonde came in and the team had some better players and they played better team defense. And wow, they absolutely hung on to way more games than they used to. So it's a it's a muddy argument. I 100% agree with anyone on either side of the coin in saying that, you know, my argument's valid. It was that fork in the road that you talked about, Brad. It's too late to to change anything now. Like, Eisenman has chosen his path, but there's a justification in terms of adding these contracts how he did. I also want to put it out there because I, I worry when we have these conversations that the context is lost. Like, Andrew Kopp is not a bad player. JT Comfort is not a bad player. I think anyone who calls these out-and-out bad contracts right now is jumping the gun. 
Like Andrew Kopp, if you look at how his play improved as he recovered from his core surgery, you saw more of the Andrew Kopp that the Red Wings had hoped that they had signed. JT Comfort had a great season in Colorado last year. I really like his game. When you have criticisms about the contract, which is fair to do, you look at the length, you look at the AAV, etc. But don't or, or don't get it twisted in that, you know, just because these contracts don't play into a future Stanley Cup competitive team in theory that that makes them bad players now. That is absolutely not the case, and you should dispel that notion for the most part. Yeah, none of these, and I was very careful at no point to to say any of these guys were bad players. It's the value relative to the contract, and again, it's, you know, 28-year-old JT Comfer versus 32-year-old JT Comfer could be very two very different players in two very different conversations, right? It's, the one thing we didn't mention, though, is at the end of these contracts, the benefit at least of it if the Danielsons and the Caspers and you know Axel Sandin Pelka whoever are coming up in two to three years is they'll be on entry-level contracts at least which will help offset some of the I'll call it bloat from the current contract situation which helps because again the Red Wings are not going to be cup contenders this year and spoiler they're not going to be cup contenders the year after that but it's getting incrementally better and ramping up to your projected core. If the Red Wings every year can graduate one or two key prospects, let's say it's Edvinson this year when he gets healthy and they've added to Brinkett. The next summer they add another good piece like in the Debrinket realm via trade or free agency and graduate another prospect or two. In three years, this team looks dramatically different. Like a lot of the guys who are on the roster right now, like by the time the Red Wings are winning a cup is... 30% of the guys currently on the roster still on like the max amount of guys that will still be on the team. Wallman like, will be like 35. But that that's the thing. It's like you look still at... Still grittying. Yep. You look at the turnover from the Red Wings now to three years ago. It's like you sitting at home right now, go look it up. However many players you think have been around, you're underestimating that number. It is so few. So, you know, will... Fabry, Wallman, you know, I'm going to say good players here. Fabry, Wallman, Perron, Hole, whoever. Are they going to be part of the Red Wings Cup window? The reality is no. You know, they are good stopgaps. And I know that's insulting to them because they're far better players than how I'm referring to them. But that's in all reality the likelihood of the situation because they're going to be older. They're not going to be on cheap contracts. They're going to want to get their money. The Red Wings, again, if they're continually adding good players will need the cap space and you know you're not going to play a pay a third line or five million dollars when you're in your cup window right so it's going to be a fascinating dynamic of when and i know this is going to sound stupid to say but when eiserman actually hits the gas because again he's still trying to improve the team but you can tell it's just incrementally better yeah he's not making moves that scream we're winning the stanley cup in the next three years right but if all of a sudden those big swing trades like Debrinket start happening more than once, there's all of a sudden two, three, four of them. They've dabbled a little heavier in the free agency pool on the, like, you know, some higher talent players. All of a sudden the prospects are getting a regular shift in the top six and the top four and not drowning. It, it could be a really slow ramp up and then just, you know, 60 to 120 overnight. The comparison that 
folks draw a lot with Steve Eisman and these Detroit Red Wings is what did he do in Tampa Bay and what's he doing here? And that's just not, you can't draw that comparison, not because it's unfair to Steve Eisman. This isn't a defense of him. It's just not the same situation. Steve Eisman walked into actual superstar core pieces. He, he inherited yeah. very, very, very young Victor Hedman, Steven Stamkos. And, you know, they got Kucherov, they got Braden Point. And that's part of, you know, the, the scouting and drafting that you'd hope that is happening in Detroit. And there has been success in terms of drafting Detroit, but still, they're entirely different situations. I don't think the model to compare to is Tampa Bay. I think the model to compare to is, you know, what the New York Islanders have done or what the Seattle Kraken just did, which is this is a team on paper that is going to come together and be greater than the sum of their parts. That is a drastic oversimplification of those teams and how they've been run. But there's a lot of similarities in terms of systems, defensive responsibility, and just the overall makeup if you consider star power and how the team was put together in terms of what those guys bring to the team on paper and what the Red Wings can do. That's their path forward. I, I don't know if those are the best team comparisons. I think if everything goes right for Detroit, and again, that's the whole crux of this. A lot has to go right. We've we've known for the last eight years this team has had no luck. They're going to need some. Plainly put. They got lucky when the DeBrinket situation arose because, again, it was a top-level player who actively wanted to come to Detroit, and that's been rare over the last decade. Carolina and St. Louis, to me, are the two teams I keep looking at because they don't have that super, super, superstar talent, just like Detroit doesn't. But most of their talent was homegrown. They came up in a, albeit different, but really good foundational system that was working for them and the talent they had. They had some unexpected prospects who really hit for them, like Brett Pesci and Jacob Slavin were mid-round picks in Carolina. You know, Jordan Bennington, we rip on the guy for being an idiot all the time, but man, he went to Vesna level in those playoffs and he was in the ECHL that year. Like you need stuff like that to happen. And the Red Wings, you know, already have possibly a few between you know, Lombardi, Mazur, Soderblom, all being mid to late round picks who look like they have a chance to be upper tier players on the Red Wings lineup. But they were teams that put together a really solid foundation. And then when it came time to hit the gas, you know, St. Louis went out and they made that huge trade for Ryan O'Reilly. They had to give up Tage Thompson to do it. Not that they knew Tage would be this, but they lost Tage Thompson and they still view that trade as a win. Because they got the superstar in Ryan O'Reilly. They won the Stanley Cup. He was the Conn Smythe Trophy winner. That's what I'm kind of looking for with Detroit is, okay, there's the young core. It's established and this group is good. Maybe not Stanley Cup, but, but they are good. And then you start finding the Ryan O'Reilly's. You know, Carolina took a chance on Max Pacioretty last year. It didn't work out. They went and picked up Brent Burns. Like, you get that really solid foundation. That foundation doesn't need to be a Stanley Cup winner. But it needs to be good enough that you can build a Stanley Cup winner around it. And I, I, those two teams are the teams I keep looking back at and going, this is probably the way. And again, I'm beating this to death, but we're going to have to until it comes to fruition. It worked for those teams because their homegrown core panned out. They worked. A lot of key guys hit their ceilings and then they built around them. And again, it's not a hundred percent. You're out of the 23 guys on your roster, 10 to 15 of them are going to be homegrown. That's just how it works. So it's not like I'm saying this entire roster needs to be built of prospects, but 
you get. I, I hope everybody gets what I'm saying. And in the meantime, if they have some success, bonus. And well, I, I don't want to conflate that with they they have no expectations over the next two or three years. Part of uh, think of what a fan can hold this team to is if you're going to choose this path, then you're going to have to you know really come together and play hockey that's worth coming and paying good money in those seats to see. So I'm not saying the Red Wings have no expectations over two to three years. Like it, it they are building years for the reasons Brad just described because the actual core is still being formed, but they have good players that they're spending very many millions of dollars on now who can come together and win some games. Do I think they're going to be in a divisional seed? Likely not. Do I still want to see them play their hearts out like they did last year and being competitive in the playoff race way later than anyone anticipated? Yeah, that's the that's now the expectation I have of this team. And it's not like a, a punishment or anything like that, but it's just if you choose that path and you're saying, I'm not going to tank for a way better draft pick. We need to get it a little bit better now. The better has to come now. doesn't have to be best. You don't have to be Colorado year in and year out, but you do have to be better now. Again, the way I'm going to phrase it, and to your point, you have to get incrementally better, bit by bit, little bit, little by little bit, and contend for the playoffs while that core is getting ready. Because it's a lot easier to jump from 7th in the East to 1st than it is 13th to 1st, right? You never know what guys will stick as you make these things too. Because, you know, we're sitting here and saying all these guys are going to be gone because they have bad contracts and so many guys on this team won't even factor into the cup run, which is still largely true. But if we sat here a year ago and we were talking about what does the core of a Stanley Cup winning Detroit Red Wings team look like in five years, we would not have even thought of the name Jake Wallman. Pleasant surprises the year went on, and now maybe he is a long-term piece of this, right? So there's always situations like that, but again, we're speaking in generalities about this. So as Evan tried to spoil, and as we alluded to a lot in that conversation, prospects are the name of the game here. I know a big uh, joke on the Winged Wheel podcast is when are we going to not talk about prospects for so much of the year's episodes? And it has reduced a little bit. I think we waited longer to start our prospect profiles this year, but it still in hockey town is very much the name of the game. As Brad said, you know, Larkin to Cider, Raymond Wallman, you're, you're looking at guys who are going to be hopefully a big part of future Stanley cup winning teams, but so much of the core is still developing. So let's go out on a limb and have some takes that are going to age poorly and we're going to have to get owned for it. And that's fine. The Red Wings social team is going to uh, cook us, and we're just here to deliver the content. Let's talk about what the timelines are for these prospects. We've talked a lot about you know what their ceilings might be and when we think we might see them. Let's let's discuss what's actually realistic and what would be good, what would be a bad outcome, whatever it might be. And let's start with one who we've talked about time and time and time again, and it is probably the most difficult one to project because of his position. Sebastian Kosa, first round pick. Detroit used up quite a bit of draft stock to draft him, traded up to get him, and is a player who had a lot of success in the CHL and had a little bit of a rocky time from then on. You know, in the ECHL, he had to really kind of find his way, but ended up having a pretty successful season with the Toledo Walleye and is hopefully going to make the Griffins this year and be a big part of that team. So what's Kosa's timeline to the NHL? Well, as I talk about Sebastian Coase, uh, this talented, gifted, and wonderful prospect, please don't clip me. 
his timeline is the toughest to gauge because he's a goalie and you know, goalies are voodoo TM. It's going to be so dependent on this year. Cause we know he's done what he can do at the ECHL level. He should never play another ECHL game ever again. He should be in Grand Rapids for the, for the full season. And if it goes okay this year, he definitely, then he has another year in Grand Rapids. If it goes really good, well, he probably still has another year in Grand Rapids. I, I think he's going to have to have, two more years I think before he comes up to Detroit maybe not this season but next season he gets you know that handful of games that a lot of prospects get he gets called up you know backs up a few games maybe starts one or two towards the end of the season depending on where they are in a playoff race maybe it's just two full years in the AHL it's so so tough to say with every other prospect I have a half decent idea of what the timeline should be with Kosa I don't even have a good guess I'm gonna say two more years in the AHL and then maybe he's coming up as a backup. Yeah, if he's getting games in 2024-2025 like any, I think that's good. I think the most important this thing this year is the same thing we said last year. Just have a good season where you're playing. Get your reps, get used to the pro game. It's been the kind of oversimplified MO of his game since he's been drafted. Incredibly talented, physical, you know, has all the right tools but the refinement is going to be a work in progress. He's not an NHL-ready goalie at the time of being drafted, and that's the risk the Red Wings took when they took him over other options over the course of a couple seasons that were much more refined. So with that, you have to expect that it's going to take longer. There was concern, I think it was justified early on, to say, is he going to be able to to build that into his game? And I think the season he had with the Toledo Walleye quelled a lot of concerns and moved him forward on that path. So yeah, this season... If he plays a game for Detroit, I'm like, oh, amazing. That's not actually what matters, though. It's getting a solid season in one of the best non-NHL leagues in the AHL under your belt and just continue to improve as a pro. If in 2024, 2025, he even makes noise at a camp to be Detroit's backup or anything like that, that is a, in my mind, fantastic outcome. And I'll take that 10 times out of 10. But I agree, Brad. To be a little bit more conservative, and maybe realistic is the right word, I would say the next two seasons largely in the AHL, and then you have to expect him to be competing for a backup spot thereafter, which that's a long timeline. I think it largely depends on how this season in Grand Rapids goes. If he really seizes the opportunity and has a good season, I don't see why he shouldn't his own personal goal shouldn't be to try and make the team out of camp the following year. I, if it, it all depends on how this season goes for me. If it goes bad off the rails, it's like, okay, next season, probably still in the AHL. So I think that's where I fall on COSA. So I think we'll have to sort of monitor that throughout the season. It's got to be a little bit frustrating for some to say why does it take so long. And admittedly, his path is a little weird. First round draft pick to ECHL was not a common path. Like that's not a knock on the guy, but it also is a fact that's not a common path for goalies. So there were concerns for good reason. But again, for the reasons that we we stated earlier, this is the gamble that the Red Wings were taking. But yeah, it's it's going to take a long time. Goalies in the NHL, you just have to be so patient. And for now, I actually really like the strategy the Red Wings have had since Eisenman came in. You know, Jonathan Bernier was the last vestige of. I think the Red Wings' previous goalie solution, you had Jimmy Howard at the end of his contract where 
once he lost his physical shape, then that just kind of went out the window and Bernie was the only one holding things together. And you, you bring in Billy Huso and he does really well for a good chunk of games. You probably overplayed him over the past season and you don't want to do that again, but then they brought in support. So between Alex Lyon and James Reimer, you hope that one of them will be able to pick up 30, 35, maybe even more games. And this is a nice stopgap and holdover. Not to mention Trey Augustine. That is, COSA insurance is reductive to Augustine, but it is in a way, in the context of this conversation, it is COSA insurance. Again, do you want to have spent a first-round draft pick to say we think he's going to fail? No, but you got to be realistic. you got to be pragmatic. It does not hurt to have multiple talented goalies in the pipeline. So that's Sebastian Kosa. Let's talk about Marco Casper. When does he break through? We saw him play a game, was injured when he played it, got injured in that game too. So it's going to be tough for him to break this roster as well with all the players they added. But when do you see Marco Casper really make the Red Wings? Hopefully next season. I want to see him pushing for a spot in camp. I don't expect him to make the team this year, but I understand that it's well within the range of possibilities. I mean, he already played an NHL game, so who's to say that he can't come in and have the Lucas Raymond training camp in preseason where they don't have a choice but to put him on the roster. Realistically, I think the most likely scenario is he spends this year in Grand Rapids, maybe gets a call up at some point to Detroit, but... Again, to a top 10 pick, if he is not in the NHL within two years, that's concerning. So I would expect Casper to have a good season in the AHL this year and then be damn near a lock for the Red Wings the year after. That would be a good timeline for him with the style of play he has and where he was picked. Because again, he was billed as one of the most refined, if not the most refined prospects in his draft class. So he is not a guy who should need a ton of seasoning before he breaks through to the NHL. So I would like it to happen at some point this year, and injuries may dictate that. At the very latest, he should be in the opening night lineup next season. He's one of the players I have the most faith in. Like, I... For the reasons that you stated, Brad, the, the kind of game that he plays, the physicality that he brings, what we saw in the SHL after he was drafted, he just plays a style of game that I think is going to translate nicely to the NHL. Not to say he doesn't need the AHL. I think an 82-game season in the NHL is a test that's really hard to replicate, and you see a lot of rookies struggle with that. But I think Marco Casper can come in, fill a void in this lineup that is needed to be filled in the style of game that he plays and I think most NHL teams would love the kind of game that Marco Casper plays. I agree. I think he actually I my prediction is actually that he plays 20 plus games this year. I, like maybe not a prediction but like a hotter take. We have to have our hot takes Patreon exclusive sometime soon. But I think by next season he has a very 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 good chance of being a lock in the roster. Like playing most of the year. Yeah, because the thing that gets lost in these conversations, especially about a guy like Casper, where the style of game is so refined, is you almost miss the part about talent, which is more important. And his talent is high. The question is, does he get to the NHL and play a David Krejci to Jonathan Tays level role, somewhere in between, somewhere a little less? Or is he Yes, Barry Kotkaniemi? Right? It's all within the ranges of possibility. 
um, based on his style of game, the position he plays, and his talent, current talent level. But if he can, you know, amp up that talent just a little bit more, all of a sudden you're looking at a really good second line center. I'd say he's one of the, if I was to rank NHL ready prospects in the Red Wings pipeline, I'd say he's right there at the top. I, Camp is a strange animal and guys get hurt in the first 15 minutes. So he could be one of those guys who comes right in and gets a job day one. I could also see him spending a whole year in Grand Rapids as well. I don't think either option is off the table. It, it really depends what Marco Casper looks like coming into camp. Simon Edvinson played nine games for Detroit at the end of the season. We thought, okay, this guy's going to be on the roster next year. News came of his shoulder surgery looking to be ready or I think recovered at any point from September through November. These things vary, especially with the guy his size, and you never know how honest the team is being about the timeline. And then the Red Wings added all the players they did to the roster, and it looks like Simon Edvinson is probably going to need to shake off the rust in Grand Rapids, which isn't bad, but you'll want him in the NHL soon, in my mind. I want to say that by the end of the season, he's earned a spot, but that's going to really, really depend on how the year shakes out. If you asked Steve Eisenman or Derek Lalonde any of this, they'd say, we'll see who earns a spot. Nothing's guaranteed. And they're right, and that's how they've run the team. Like I think you can take him at face value for that. But for Simon Edvinson, he's going to need to play well, and he's going to need the opportunity on the team, either through someone being devastatingly bad. Like, you're going to healthy scratch this guy or wave him or whatever, or injury slash trade, whatever it might be. I, I think Edvinson will need a little bit of help if he wants to make the roster this year. Yeah, I would hope we're having conversations sometime around January of along the lines of, you know, how much longer can you keep him down there? Again, the roster will determine whether that's an option because as we talked about at length last episode, the Red Wings have a first pair and five expendable guys, but the difference between those expendable guys this year versus last is they're at least NHL caliber. Yeah. So it's not like you can just easily look at Gustav Lindstrom and go, get the hell out of here. This guy's taking your spot. Everybody on the roster is going to contribute something at the NHL level, at an NHL level. So Edmondson's going to have to prove he is better than an active contributing NHLer, which sounds so stupid to say, but anybody who's been watching this rebuild long enough knows exactly what I mean. And we are hopefully having that conversation. And again, a lot of the contracts on this blue line, or at least some of them aren't good, but there's guys who are movable. If Edmondson leaves you absolutely no choice and there are no injuries, you can move someone. Carter Mazur stormed onto the scene since being drafted has been a guy who's rocketed up the list in terms of players you think might be NHL ready sooner based on how he's performed in his style of game. Do you see him this year at all? Or is this a next season thing? I think he gets some games. I don't think he makes it at the beginning of the season. I think a majority of his season will be spent in Grand Rapids. And again, forever and always with the asterisks, depending on the injuries, but I think he spends most to all of the season in Grand Rapids, but, you know, it sounds weird to save a third-round pick. But, yeah, I really do expecting him to be kicking the door down by next uh, preseason. He has been just so impressive since being picked. And, yeah, I, I agree. I think with how 
He's really risen to the occasion. The level of hockey he's played has been really strong. And, you know, the NCAA is no joke. You're playing against some tough, at that point, grown-ass men. So he's already got a little bit of a line in that way. It's not like the jump Amadeus Lombardi is making from the CHL to the AHL. Yeah, I, I think he really could be a mainstay on Detroit's roster as early as next year, or at the very least threatening to take a veteran's job. And that's what you want to see. Similar to Marco Casper, but obviously with very different amounts of draft stock and ceiling assigned to them. The style of game they play can work really well in this roster, even if they're not a top six guy right away. Dmitry Pochelnikov is a given, like we talked about this before, he's a few years out because of the KHL thing, so we're not going to do that one. But Amadeus Lombardi from that same draft class, he's an interesting one. 100 points with Flint. You know, a really talented, skilled player, very obviously has been just a gem of a pick in the fourth round. Detroit really capitalized on the kind of COVID haze that uh, obfuscated a lot of what prospects could be in that draft class in 2022. But he does have the size concern, and the AHL, I think, is going to be a big test this year. So do you see Amadeus Lombardi this year, next year, beyond? If he makes it. I mean... He was drafted as an overager, and so this is technically, he just wrapped up his draft plus two year, even though it was really his draft plus one year. And he was a fourth round pick who didn't play his first two eligible years in the CHL. And he's going into, against all odds, his first year in the AHL. And it feels weird to say if he's in the AHL for longer than two years, it's a problem. Not, not a problem, a problem for him because... His talent level is so high and the style of game he plays, if he's in the HL for three years, it means he's never going to, he just doesn't have the talent to get into a top nine role in Detroit. Because I think if you give him 120 games or so in the AHL in the next two years, if he can't figure it out there, it's just not happening for him. And I think that in two years, yeah, we're probably going to be looking at a guy where we're sitting here going, okay, where does he fit in the NHL lineup? Because I do believe in his talent. I, I especially believe in his brain. He is one of the better playmakers in all of junior hockey. So I always bet on guys like that. And I think two good years in the AHL and, and the Red Wings could have a hell of a player. And again, I'm not going to call it likely, but I would not be surprised if we're sitting here Next offseason going, is there a chance? Could he do it? What is he up against? Yeah. With he with his style of game and how talented he is, I think you're right, Brad. If he hangs out down the AHL for too long, that's a bad sign. It's because he it's just kind of about translating his game up and through the ringer that is the physicality of the pro game at that level. Yeah, it's with him, the talent and the brain is there. It's just the pace and the physicality. If he can't figure it out in two years, he's never going to. William Melinder, he's an interesting one. Coming over to at least Grand Rapids this year. And again, defense is going to be hard to break through. Same goes for Albert Johansson here. Let's say both of them. If they break through, what's the timeline there? So this is where it gets really tricky because now you have to have a conversation bigger than the prospect himself. I, again, when it comes to the prospects where you're looking at the talent and going, yeah, it's there. Most of these guys don't spend years 
in the AHL. And now when we're talking about defense specifically on a Red Wings team that is trying to compete for playoff spots in this gap that we talked about earlier, you can't bring up two or three defensemen into the NHL at one time. You cannot have a third or half your blue line be rookies. That's why I think it's important that despite the injury, Edvinson gets a good amount of time in Detroit this year because I expect one of Willinder or Johansson to be up next year. Because again, if you wait too long to graduate these guys, all of a sudden you're trying to graduate four, five, six guys who are worthy in what you're hoping is your contention window. That's a huge problem. You want them, you know, year two, three in the NHL by that point, right? Mm -hmm. So they have so many good young D. It's now about how do they stagger this? And again, this is why the contract uh, conversation we had earlier is so relevant because hopefully we're at the point next year going, how much does it cost to buy out this guy or trade this guy or whatever? Because Edvinson has established himself and man, I'm watching, you know, pick Willinder, Johansson, whichever one you want and go, they need to be in the NHL right now, right effing now. How do we make that happen? And I would bet between uh, Willinder or Johansson next off season, one of them is doing it at least, hopefully both. So it, it could be really fascinating to see what the Red Wings blue line looks like, even in three years, because there's a, I would expect all three of them to be up by then. Could Willinder spend two years in the AHL before we're starting to write him off? No, I think that's probably about the right amount of time. Johansson's already spent one year in the AHL and looked pretty good. So I would say one more year and then we probably should be having serious talks about him graduating because not a lot of quality NHL are spend three years in the AHL. Very, very few. So if we want these guys to be impact players and everyday contributors, they have to follow the prototypical timeline. So yeah, you know, clock's ticking on that blue line about when to graduate these guys and Edmonton's got to be the first domino to fall before we start talking about these two guys. Axel Sandin Pelka has some cushion. Shooting right right now is his biggest advantage. Yeah, honestly. I think his timeline, you're not expecting him next season kind of thing. No, he's going to spend one more year in the SHL at least. I wouldn't even be surprised if it's two. Really? I will hope not, but I wouldn't even be surprised. He's at best two years away. Just again, the you know, we talked about how he's not quite your prototypical small offensive defenseman, but he is still a small defenseman. And with that comes challenges that take longer to develop. So at least one more year in the SHL, at least one year in the AHL. And then again, we're getting into this conversation. If Edvinson doesn't go up this year and all of a sudden you're looking in a two-year window, you're probably going to have to graduate Edvinson, Johansson, Willinder, and Sandine Pelica. Well, you can't do that. You just can't. Yeah. So, and again, this is on the optimistic side. All these guys pan out. Statistically speaking, we know one of these guys is going to flame out, if not two. That's just hockey. That is how prospects work. That happens to even the best teams. That happens to everybody. We're looking at all four of these guys going right now going, holy hell, these guys are good. They have a bright future. And then generally speaking, it goes off the rails for someone, whether that's injuries, they've just peaked at their development and there's nothing else there. Because maybe Albert Johansson after his good year in the HL, maybe that's all he is. He doesn't progress and that's what he is. And as of right now, that's not an NHL or who knows. I don't think so based on his age and skill set, but maybe. 
But yeah, it's it's going to be this really fine line of not graduating a bust, but not graduating four guys in a year and a half, two year span. Nate Danielson. And so much hinges on him. Him and Casper, I think so much hinge on them in terms of is this team actually going to be a threat in the future? But what's his timeline? All right. I know this isn't fair to a 19-year-old who was just drafted. I think the biggest part of the Red Wings future hinges on Danielson. I think it does too. Because I think we know reasonably what Casper is likely going to be after seeing him in his draft plus one year and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The defense, we just had that conversation. You need three good centers to win a Stanley Cup. There's just no way around it. So they don't have anybody else that is likely to do it because I think Lombardi ultimately ends up in the NHL on the wing other than Larkin, Casper, and Danielson. So if Danielson whiffs and you're only sitting there with two of the four, three centers you need, because again, fourth line center, whatever, Valeno could do that. Oh boy, that's a big problem. And I think Danielson's ceiling at least offensively, is probably higher than Casper's. And this is a team that struggles to score. I think Casper can do a lot of the, I don't want to call it more important stuff because offense is important, but Casper can take the load on more of the matchups and penalty killing. And, you know, it's big game five in the playoffs against, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Okay, Casper's line's taking Crosby's, that type of role. Not saying that's what's going to happen, but... And Danielson maybe has a little more room to provide the offense that he showed flashes of in Brandon. And, you know, hopefully with a better supporting cast and some more talent around him, those numbers actually translate. Because, man, if they just picked another center in the top 10 and whiffed, oh boy, that sets the rebuild back a lot. Like, a lot. Because, again, there's not a lot coming through at forward for this team. Mazer... Danielson and Casper so much is, I will say unfairly riding on their shoulders right now. And Danielson being arguably the biggest unknown of them to this point. It's a tough spot for him to be in. And I hope he's not listening to this because he doesn't need that type of pressure on him. He's just got to go back to Brandon this year, have a good season. But again, he's a top 10 pick who was drafted as a late birthday. Mm -hmm. Two years max. Max, he's got one more year in Brandon and he can't spend more than one year in Grand Rapids again. Otherwise, we are in, as a franchise, big trouble. Didn't talk about Soderblom because his is a little bit of a funny case. I think as the Red Wings have injuries, they're going to be calling up guys like him. And then to me, the sweeteners are Amadeus Lombardi, like we mentioned. If his story continues, I think we're not talking about, oh, is he, this would be fun if it comes through. He's lumped in with Mazer of, okay, this is tried and true, and now the expectations also fall on his shoulders. And then Dmitry Bachelnikov. Like, he doesn't have no expectations just because he's in Russia. It's just that it's arbitrarily kicked out because of his contract over there. But they spent a lot of draft capital on him, and he does have talent. So eventually, some of it will lay on his shoulders. That is some prospect timeline talk. Earlier was the contract projections. Let's get into overtime here. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Again, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show. Some benefits you get is uh, access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord. You're also getting access to all of our Patreon-exclusive overtime bonus episodes, which record right after these main ones. Additionally, all of our midweek episodes during the offseason, unless Steve Eisenman makes a trade, 
uh, our Patreon exclusive in there. There's some more fun topics, a little bit more evergreen. So patrons still get two a week content from the Winged Wheel podcast. Additionally, you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Last season, we gave away two tickets to every Red Wings home game, and the vast majority of them went to our patrons, and the same thing is going to happen this year. So again, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show. Some questions from our patrons. Joshua Bazura says, boys, 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 if you had to make one of the following scenarios real, which would it be? The Wings acquire Wayne Gretzky in the original trade out of Edmonton, or two, the Wings draft Pavel Bury but never draft Sergei Fedorov. Oh, the Gretzky. Gretzky won a thousand percent. And yeah. also the attempt at Beret was after Fedorov, so both would have happened, but I digress. Uh, Mix and Stir says, do you guys think that the Red Wings will roll with a right side consisting of Cider, Sherratt, Petrie, and Hull? Or do you think the Red Wings possibly move one of Sherratt, Petrie, or Hall and recoup some assets? Injuries will always be a factor, so maybe it's best to hang on to everyone, but we've also seen Sherratt's value in the past when Florida traded a first for him. Keep up the great work, guys. Uh, they're keeping all of them. At least as of, until Edvinson forces their hand, they're keeping all of them. I will say, I think not this season, but in the future, I wouldn't be surprised if a player like Sherratt or we'll see how the year goes with Hull, and not because it's good or bad, is moved out much sooner than the end of their contract. I think obviously we've seen, we just had a conversation about prospect timelines Moves are going to have to be made. It's all going to depend on how these players perform and injuries. And are they doing well and the team's doing poorly? So do they have value to someone else? There's a million different things that could affect this, but I would not be surprised if Sherratt, for example, was moved. Again, if in a year, year and a half, we're not at least having these conversations, we have a bigger problem because that means nobody's trying to push them out of the way. Admiral Matt S. of the Cheeseback Navy says, which one in their prime... Depth slash role player, Red Wing, would you add to the current roster to improve it? Some ground rules, no Hall of Famers or top talent players. I'm talking role players or mid-tier guys. Let's also ignore goalies. Let's keep it to skaters. For example, Michael Samuelson, Valtteri Filpula, Thomas Holmstrom, Matthew Schneider. Ooh. I'd go Franz in here. Franz on his heater to score. Like The Red Wings need goals, and Franz in, I think, would be a good option. That's a really good pick. I was thinking about him. I So many of the guys that I want to pick just feels like cheating because the first two names that immediately jumped to my mind were Rafalski and Kozlov. Uh, I feel like those are too high. Rafalski was mine. Rafalski would be great. But I feel like they're too good for the question at hand. Yeah. The Okay, you want to hear a low-key one that in his prime was actually way better than I think people remember. And it's because I don't think his prime came with Detroit. Robert Lang. Oh, Robert Lang's a great pick. Yeah, Robert Lang is so much better than people remember. Yeah, he is. Oh, God, I love it. It's just he was never part of the, he was in between the cups, right? Yeah. So he never got the love he probably deserved. That, like the goal against Calgary. I loved Lang on Detroit, and it was just such a big swing at the time, which was fun when the Red Wings were still in a position to be doing things like that. Yeah, Lang's a good pick. Rafalski's a good one, too. I like that. Give Walman the Heart says, would you guys rather have Berggren on the first line or the fourth line this year? Like, what would we do? I think fourth line, because if he's on the first line, that means something has gone wrong with one of their should-be first-line players. Or something has gone horribly right. With with Berggren, that's right. In terms of, like, let's be realistic with Berggren, I, like, I don't see first line outside of the realm of opportun- possibilities for him, but... So I'm going to kind of 
hedge this question as best I can. I want the top line to be Raymond, Debrinket, Larkin. I don't want them spreading it out. Uh, our second line is not going to be up to snuff either way, so might as well max out the first line. But let's say there's a reality where Comfer and Raymond form a really good second line with who the hell ever. And that top left wing spot is available for someone to go in. And I start looking up and down the Red Wings lineup of left wingers who could fill in there. Peregrine might be the best option. There's a whole lot of guys that would yeah. be available there. And given Circumstance that he's, could put him there. And given that he's gonna, the youngest of that group, yeah. Yeah, if we're looking to the future, that's probably best case scenario. But no, I'd rather him on the fourth line because I want to bring it Raymond Larkin to be a thing. Coyote season tickets in anywhere but Tempe says, can we agree the newly signed Toronto Marley Robert Master Simone is Eisenman's biggest draft bust thus far? We didn't even talk about that. I'll give us some time next episode. But yes, the rights to Robert Master Simone expired. The Red Wings didn't sign him. He has moved on and signed a one-year deal with the Toronto Marlies of the AHL. That's obviously the Maple Leafs affiliate. So yeah, that one is a pretty big draft bust. He was... I have a hard time calling anybody outside of the first round a bust because they're long shots to begin with. 54th overall, the second of three second round picks, anti Tuomisto. Like I would argue that. he's not even the biggest draft bust of that round, but I digress. <laughs> no, Tuomisto definitely. So far, Tuomisto is. But Master Simone is, you know, he has decidedly not landed in Detroit. So his... Yeah, he Tuomisto, there's a reality here where he turns it around this year and becomes great because the Red Wings still belong him. But given where Tuomisto was picked and where Master Simone was picked and what they've both shown so far, yeah... <laughs> Not great. Yeah. But yeah, they uh, their rights uh, expired. Which sucks because I like that Master Simone pick. All right. That's the episode. A little bit of a short one today, but so the offseason goes. As always, folks, thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, please do go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Buy your tickets to the Roast and Toast this Saturday. Also, bid on I- items for the silent auction. Also, buy some merch. It's for a fantastic cause. It's going to be a great event. We can't wait to see you all there. To all of our listeners, new and old, we can't say thank you enough. Again, if you want to go the extra mile to support the show, patreon.com slash podcast. If you can't or aren't interested but still want to support the show, subscribe wherever you get your show. Leave a rating. Leaving those ratings does help a lot. And tell a friend about the show. You know, word of mouth is the best advertising the show has. And if you know someone who wants to listen to more about the Red Wings and they're a podcast listener or don't even know what podcasts are, tell them about the show. Show them how to tune in on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. So there's audio and video. It helps a lot to all of our Patreon supporters. You know, this doesn't happen without you to our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eze Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Mix and Stir. Mix and Stir is a brand new name level supporter. Welcome. Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landiscog, Buck the Suckeyes, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Carzone 13, Sizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets in Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow. Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, New Extra Cheesy Cheese Bag, RA Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Brian Vasha, Scree and Lube. That's what I appreciate about you. Wallman's Elite Dancing D. X gonna give it to you. 
Iserplan, Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Adam Rose, Baked Cheese, Brad Simmons, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Danny Daniels, Darren Fick, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik Robert Deeks, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John, Eng- John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt K. Cannon, father of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Max Boltman's Secret Gruff Sparty Tattoo, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Steven, Tatarsas, The Hodag, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, Wings Fan in Alaska, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so much. Talk to you next Sunday. See you next Saturday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.